please turn in your New Testaments to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. And this is the very Word of God to us. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're in this series of messages called Loving the Other, How to Live Beyond Ourselves and the Blessing of Living Beyond Ourselves. We started with loving God and and now each week we're looking at a different dimension of what it is to love God and to love other people. I feel like kind of catching up the last episode, last week on loving the other, it was loving our spouse and this week... It is loving our families, loving our children and loving our families. And there are two things I'd like to say this morning uh, about loving our families. I want to talk about the centrality of family and I want to talk about the love of family. And so let's look at the centrality of family, why it's so important. And we need to ask the question first, what is a family? What is a family is a pretty important question today. There are lots of definitions out there uh, currently about what a family is. But the Bible introduces the concept of family. The Bible introduced the first family. The Bible defined the first family in the very first chapter of Genesis. So you just get into the very first chapter of the Bible and there is the family. This is telling you that the family right off is central to everything that's coming behind. God made man in his image, the only part of his creation that is given that designation of being like the original, a copy in the image of God, intelligent, moral, loving, creative, all of these different capacities that we have that really shines forth the glory of God. It it is a wonder. Human beings are a wonder. You can look at mountains. You can look at oceans. You can be awed by the greatest sights of rocks and minerals and creation. That is nothing compared to looking at a human being who is ceaselessly interesting and glorious beyond compare because we are made in the image of God. God not only made man in his image, but God made a woman and he brought her to the man and the, the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She is from me. She is for me. We are to be together. The two, we read, become one flesh and there is this intimacy, this closeness, this sharing of life and they were naked and unashamed and a kind of transparency and a knowledge of one another. But it is in Genesis 1.28 that we kind of get past where we were last week, just on marriage, where God commands the man and God blessed them, it says, and God said to them, and here is where... The larger family comes from. Marriage that leads to the larger family. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Make it work for you. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, of the heavens, 
and every living creature that moves along the earth. And so we have man and woman uh, coming together in marriage, and out of that marriage we have be fruitful and multiply. Wayne Mack, who's a really fine writer on the subject of family, said, God's plan for creation was for men and women to marry and have children. A man and a woman would form a one-flesh union through marriage, and they, with their children, become a family, the essential building block of society. Okay, so a marriage, that, that's a family. That's God putting two people together and then children come to a marriage. That is a family. Um, this is so central. This is the basic building block. And what we're going to find is that through this original family are going to come all the families of the earth and, and all the peoples of the earth. And God is going to work through uh, families. Family is central to God's plan and purpose for mankind. So it's important to understand what a family is. And then we'll talk about what it's like to have one, okay? Um, there are lots of ideas about family today that I, I just have to say, as a Christian minister, are simply not derived from the Scriptures. And I'm not trying to be ugly or controversial or, or, or mean. Uh, I, I think that I would be pressed by our culture to start with same-sex marriage, to be honest with you, because that's kind of where the culture is right now. That is kind of the headlines um, that we read about all the time. That's where a lot of the, the skirmishes and, and battles are happening around the idea of what a family is. Tim Keller put it this way. He says, because of the brokenness of creation, not every couple can have children, but marriage, by the biblical definition, alone holds the possibility of creating life. It also provides children with close, lifelong exposure to both male and female humanity that they need to be fully integrated. Meaning that when God put man and woman together, and this is marriage, they did correspond to one another. They corresponded to one another in many ways emotionally and spiritually. There will be incredible help and strength, but they also corresponded to one another physically. And this, of course, was a part of God's plan for procreation. Now, I have to say, to, I have to say that believing and relaying the Scriptures... And what the scriptures teach about marriage is not the same as being what the, the culture calls homophobic. I refuse to put those together. Uh, I believe that Christians should be very gracious and kind to all people. I think that we should show the love of Jesus and we should speak the truth in love. And I myself have friends who are homosexual. And so I do not think that talking about what a family is, is homophobic. And I think that we need to draw a line because the definition of a family is critical to the centrality of what human society is going to be like as well as what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And look, the truth is, is that is only one, even though it's most popular right now, or most pressed, it is only one of 
many definitions of what a family is. It's one of thousands of alternative definitions of a family. I'll give you a great example. I googled what is a family, question mark. The number one answer uh, came from the Prince Edward Island, Canada Department of Education and Early Childhood Development, which currently has this definition of family on its website, at least as of yesterday. <clears throat> what is a family? And the answer, according to the, the offic these officials in Canada, is that a family, families are who you love, period. Whoever you love, that's your family, okay? Families are who you love. Our families all look different. A family caregiving unit might consist of a couple, a mother, a father, children, a single parent, a child, a grandparent, grandchildren, a sibling group, or it could consist of a circle of friends, or however that family would choose to define itself. So there you have it, right? There you have it. In, in meaning that there really should not be a particular definition of family anymore. That a group of friends can be designated as a family. Um, what, it, what it's saying really, if you think about it is, is that family has become more of an adverb than a noun. I think what what they kind of mean to say, I wish they were saying, is that a group of friends can be like a family. Or if we say, you know, you got the coach in the huddle, right? Hey, remember, this team, this team is a family, right? We say kind of stuff like that. We're not saying that a football team is literally a nuclear family, right? We're saying that a football team can be like a family. Um, the circle of friends can be like a family. Um, we say things like, our pet is a member of our family. I mean, people say that. They don't really mean that they've legally adopted their pet, that he has a certain right to the inheritance. They don't mean that, do they? They mean that our love for our pet is like a family. But that's very different than an actual family. Okay? I mean, a family is what a family is. And it's central in creation. It's central to God's working in the world. I'll give you a great example. You just can't get around this. Everybody here, everybody in this room, no exception, has a mother and a father. A biological mother and a father. In fact, not only do you have a mother and a father, does anybody here not have a mother and a father? That's what I thought. Not only do you have a mother and a father, you have a grandmother and a grandfather. So not only do you have a, a family, a nuclear family, but you have uh, an extended family. And look, in the Bible, family is the children and the relatives, meaning your siblings, the other children, the siblings of your parents, that's your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, and in the Bible, adoption into families and fully becoming recognized as a son or a daughter is the other component in families. So this is, this is what families are. I know it sounds, it's like, are you, are you, really, you really think you're saying something like profound up there? Why are you talking like this? Well, I'll tell you why I'm talking like this because in 2015, it's kind of required to talk like this. We have an extended family, which can include aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., and all through birth or adoption in the scriptures. 
I'm just talking about the biblical definition of family. I'm not saying where the state will come down on this, how the state will define family. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the scriptures teach. We, uh, we had a free trial uh, about a year and a half, two years ago to Ancestry.com. <laughs> Have you ever done Ancestry.com? It's amazing. You just start with your family. You start with your mama and your daddy, and then you, try to, you start remembering back, and you can do your aunts and uncles. You start remembering back, and all of a sudden, this database just goes crazy and starts linking death certificates and birth certificates. And I think it's the most amazing thing in the world, and suddenly there's this little leaf that appears. If you've done Ancestry.com, and this little leaf says, you might want to explore this, you click on the leaf, and now all of a sudden you're down. You've, you've discovered somebody you've never heard of. And the reason that I took advantage of this free trial for a month is because uh, someone asked me the name of my great-grandfather on my father's side, and I didn't know. You know, I kind of know it on one side. I I know my grandfather. And uh, and I'll tell you who really went crazy on this is Gina. Gina took hers all the way back to Adam and Eve, I think. (laughs) But, you know, as we were kind of going through Ancestry.com, it was like... Wow, this is amazing. You know, I have a nuclear family, and I've got an extended family, and this family goes on for generations. And that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that, that God gives a family, and this family has children. This family adopts what, you know, what, whatever is, is the case in this particular family, and there are actual generations. And so a family is larger than a nuclear family in the Bible. There are whole pages of Scripture that are nothing but the delineation of families and tribes in Israel and who is related to who and who belongs to who. And, and, and we find in the Old Testament that everything kind of is marked out by this, this thing called family. And we find out, and I'll get there in a second, that family is central to God's working, not only in the basic building block of society, but also God's working in His kingdom and His kingdom coming around the world, and it still is. So the centrality of family, it's the basic building block. It is how God is working, our nuclear family, our extended family. But the next question is, Okay, so that's a family. What does God want them to be like? You see, that's a, that's a, a great question to ask. So we kind of go from the centrality of family to, secondly, the love of family. God loves families. And God wants families to be loving. God loves families and God wants families to be marked by love. You know, when the Lord made promises in the Old Testament, it was never just to a person, covenant promises. It was never just to a person. God didn't just say, Abraham, I will be your God, period, stop, did he? No, he said, Abraham, I will be your God, and included in that would be Sarah, and the God of your children, he says, you, your wife, your children, and your descendants after you for the generation to come. And God says, you know, Abraham, 
I want to be your God, but I want to be the God of your family. I want to lead in your family. I want to move in and through your family. And I'm going to bless the whole earth through your family. And, and it gets down to uh, th- this covenant through families becomes a blessing. And whoever blesses will be blessed. And whoever curses will be cursed. And, and, and all of these things. This is Genesis 17 that I was quoting. It's one of the things that we read in our baptismal responsive reading. It's why we do infant baptism, because God is a God of generations and a God of family. So God's into families, and God loves families. And God provides for families, protects them, leads them, nuclear and extended. And families should be marked by love. You know, in the Old Testament, um, I, I think you, we need to say, admittedly, there's not a lot of places where, where God says, love your children or love this or love that. There's, there's, a, there's just reams of biblical material about what loving our family looks like. It looks like fidelity to our family, commitment to our family. It looks like instructing our family in the, the ways of God. It looks like nurturing our family. You know, it, it looks like protecting our family. There's just all kinds of material. And, and if you put all that together, you'd kind of have that collage that says, that's what it looks like in the Old Testament to love a family. And there's one particular word in the Old Testament that really speaks to the love of a family. And that word is chesed. It is the word for covenant love. Or we would put it in our language, loyal love. So in the Old Testament, we, we say that family love is loyal love. You ever heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water? You know what that means, don't you? It means that we are loyal to our family more than we are loyal to people that we're not related to. Why? Because family love is chesed love. It is loyal love. And this loyal love is a deep commitment that is not to be broken. This loyal love is very serious. It is very on, you know, on task with always laying hold of the person in our family because we love them and we are loyal to them. In fact, God's covenant love is compared to the love of a father for his children in Psalm 103. Verses 11 through 13, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's covenant love, his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And here's that famous verse. As a father shows compassion, a compassionate love, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. And it talks about how God's love is to be mirrored in our love for our children, for our family. Jesus said something similar to this in the book of Matthew. You know, he said, if if your son, if a son asks a father for um, bread, will he give him a stone? You know, and this is in different, uh, the different Gospels. And the one I love is, will he give him a scorpion? But um, the answer is no, you know. Be- why? Because he loves him. If you, have a, uh, earthly fathers, though you are evil, though you are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? And so the love of the father is kind of like God's love 
for us this covenant love. So this idea is, is a very, very committed love. But I want to go a little further than this. And I have, we'll have to get to the New Testament to really get the, the full picture of what this is and what this feels like. You know, the love of a family isn't just loyalty. It's not just, hey, I'm here for you, right? There is to be an active ongoing giving and experience of an incredibly beautiful love in a family that you just don't experience everywhere in the world. In other words, there is something very dear, I'm going to use that word, about family and about the love of family from day to day. The New Testament word for this kind of love is the word, it was the word last week, agape. It's the word agape. It means a gift love. It means an other-centered, a self-forgetting love, a graciously sacrificing for the other. So that on a day-to-day basis, people are not only loyal to you and committed to you, and therefore they love you, locked in. That's very important. But they're for you. They give to you. They lay down themselves for you. They'll lift you up at their own expense. This is beautiful. And that's why I've chosen Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 to talk about family love. Now, that's not exactly where you would necessarily just automatically go to talk about family love. Be imitators of God. This is our text. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, Ephesians 4 and 5, you ought to read Ephesians 4 and 5. I mean, if you do, just buckle up. It is all about walking with God and imitating God. Uh, it It is all about what it means to have a relationship with God and live in a dark world as a child of light. And man, it goes into lots of details of what darkness looks like and what light looks like and what love looks like and what non love looks like. And it all kind of comes down to be imitators of God. And, um, you know, I could spend, I could make a whole list. Like we could have like a 28 point sermon on each one of those things and what it would mean to imitate God and, and for us as believers walking with God to, to, to want to see those things happen in our life. But I'm not going to do that. Aren't you glad I'm not going to do 27 points? No, what I'd rather do in the time we have remaining is I'd like to look at how this happens in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. How do we become imitators of God? How do we live a life of love? And this is just so profound and beautiful because the great thing about this is is we are not simply to imitate God by gritting our teeth, getting on a program, making sure that we're disciplined enough to remind ourselves every day of our next move and don't forget to do this. None of that. No, it's 
the second part of Ephesians 5.1 that gives us the answers. Be imitators of God. And here it is. As dearly loved children. And there it is. This passage is saying that God dearly loves His children. And, and it, it is also saying that children are to be dearly loved because He dearly loves His children. And what it's saying is this, is that being in a relationship with God is the difference that it makes as to who we become. It is the love of God in a relationship with God that changes us. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that works its way into this, this love and sacrifice of God, this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit communicating God's love. And it's a Hesed love. It's a loyal love. And it is a sacrificial love. And, and it is God's love that transforms us over time to become more and more an imitator of God. Without God's love and an experience of God daily and the experience of His love in the context of His truth, there's no chance to become like God. God has to make us like God. And it is through God's love and His truth that He is beginning to do that. You know, this principle of imitation is very interesting too, isn't it? Um, there's a principle in family that children imitate their parents. That's true. That's true. You know, I remember growing up, there was a, and those of you who are old enough to remember this, it just blazoned on my memory the, the public service announcement about not smoking. And basically there's this little song, kind of the little songs like, like father, like son. And you know, the dad's mowing the grass and the little kid's got to play lawnmower. He's mowing the grass. You know, the dad's doing this, the little kid's imitating, he's doing that. And then the dad's smoking. And guess what? The child's going to smoke. I mean, this is back in the 60s before, you know, the Surgeon General's warning. But somebody had enough sense to know, hey, you know what? Families are powerful. Families are central. We really are changed by how we are treated in a love relationship. And be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children walk in love. And, and God is at work in our lives and God is changing us and we are able to walk in love. And our children are to be dearly loved. This is it. I mean, look, how are we supposed to treat our children? The way God treats us. And I used the NIV 1984 version this morning because the word is not simply beloved, which I love the word beloved, which is the ESV. I really like the word dearly loved. Dearly loved. You know, I remember when our daughters were little bitty girls. And, uh, you know, I have so many sweet memories of, and, of funny things and very dear things that they have said. Isn't it great that they're at college and I can talk about them now again? I quit using uh, daughter illustrations about when they hit hormones. Now they're gone. So it's all fair game again. Uh, <laughs> no, you know... You know, we would do something for a daughter, and it would be really sweet. And, and that daughter sometimes would say to daddy or, or mommy, thank you, thank you so much for, for doing that. And we had this kind of habit of saying, well, we're so, we're so glad to do that. Do you know why 
you know why we did this? And of course they knew the answer and they would get this little kind of quirky little smile and say, because you love us. Right! Exactly right. I mean, you know, I, that, that is what I want them to know, right? Because you love us. Because you love me. And it makes a difference when you love them. It makes a difference when they're able to see love, you see. Trust me, th- I, there were lots of mistakes made, too. Gene uh, and I lay in bed at night sometimes and say, we ruined them. We ruined them. I'm sure we've ruined them. But, uh, you know, for them to be able to say, I, I was loved, is a very important thing. It's what I want in my family. Look, I want my family to know the truth, and I want the truth to set us free, right? But I'm going to tell you something. I want my family to experience love and know what love is. Because family love is so powerful and it is this loyal love that you know you're never you know you're you're always going to be in this family you're always going to have that kind of focus and it is this agape love that we're always going to sacrifice for one another and you're going to feel it and you're going to know it that makes the family such a safe place now i know sinners it gets unsafe when we get in arguments but we all repent we all come back to this baseline of just love There's something about being a parent that just awakens the notion of just sacrificing for your child. And this is a safe place. This is a secure place. This is a place of loving instruction and affirmation. This is the best soil to grow up in. It's what God wants. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children live a life of love. God's love is what changes us to be able to live a life of love. And guess what? In a family, it is love along with this truth that really shapes who our family is going to be. And it is the best place to learn how to love. Imitation again. Imitators of God. Kind of, you know, Christ in the church is kind of like our marriage. God loving his children is kind of like our parenting. In Ephesians 5, there's a lot of this. But in this imitation, um, our children not only learn to imitate God in our families, they're introduced to Christ and his love and feel his love, experience his love, include, I'm telling you, please understand me, including deep repentance. Lots of I'm sorry's. We are sinners who need Jesus today. You know, I I just, we went through the parenting God, kids God's way phase, and it just liked to kill us. You know, just just to, that was the name of a a teaching, parent God's way, you know, it just liked to kill us because, you know, sinners like us just couldn't do it God's way, you know, every every day. And we kind of felt pressure to do it God's way. Well, God's way is the way of love. And so if you're trying to do this in your family, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to sin. Just tell it. Love them enough to just say you're sorry. Love them enough to repent. Let's don't do this pressure to actually make it about our performance rather than simply giving ourselves to our family in this beautiful, self-sacrificial type of love. But they not only learn how to imitate God in our families, they learn how to love a husband or a wife in our families. You better believe they do.
and they learn how to love children in our families. Now, sure enough, there are people that are going to have to unlearn some things and they're going to have to learn when they're adults uh, more independent of what they've learned. And like I said, I think Gene and I have probably ruined ours several times over. But they are learning and, and that in itself is huge, isn't it? That's how God is moving society. The love of families and great implications for the future. So let me finish by just saying, talk about this love a little bit more. Just so we wouldn't redefine it. We, as, as I've explained earlier, we have a, a penchant as human beings to redefine things in ways that God has not defined it in His Word. You may not receive the revelation of God as the Word of God. I don't know, but this is His Word. And just so we wouldn't redefine it, Paul gives us the example. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Verse 2, and live a life of love. Here's the picture. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what love looks like. It looks like forgetting myself and giving to you. It looks like sacrificing me for you. Christ gave himself up willingly, surrendered himself. Gave him, that's the word of the text, gave himself up, meaning that was something he chose to do. Willingly, quote, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this is Old Testament language, right? Remember in the Old Testament, it's an offering, pleasing aroma to God, a, a fragrant offering. Uh, this is Old Testament language for the sacrifice for sins. And you know what happened to the sacrifice for sins, right? It got burned. It got consumed. It took the place of so that forgiveness could come to someone else. And God is holy. God is holy. If we don't have a holy God, what kind of a God do we have? A diabolical God? He's not a beautiful God if He's not a holy God. But God is holy. And if God is holy, then sin must be dealt with. Correct? Because God cannot can remain holy without dealing with sin. That's a part of what His holiness looks like. He deals with sin because He is holy. And Jesus offered Himself as our sacrifice and our sin was dealt with. And this is the ultimate example of, of agape, of sacrificial love, other-centered love. And the power of it saved me. The power of that love saved me. And the power of it in families... Doesn't save families. I'm not saying that loving your children will save them. But the power of agape love in families is amazing. Because it is rare in the world and it literally just resonates of God Almighty. God the merciful. God the, the sacrifice. And agape changes people. And being dearly loved in the sense of agape matters. We know 
deep in our hearts that selfishness destroys. Selfishness means everything is about me. And when people in a relationship, a marriage, or a family, when everything is always about the individual people, then there is no way that this comes together. There is no unity. Frankly, there's just no love. But this gift love gives life. And it melts our hearts. I want us to think about our children one more time. Even our children understand that an incredible sacrifice of love, when we say, you know what, we're not going to this place that we always go, we're going with you to support you. I'm not going to spend the money here. We're going to spend it here because I love you. I know that I spend a lot of time here, but I am now choosing to spend my time here because I love you. I'm going to tell you something. Even a child gets it. Even a child's heart is melted by agape love. So how can we dearly love our children? By being a child. Parents, you are children before you're parents. You don't ever have to lead God. God is the one being in the universe that you will never have to lead. You understand that? That pressure is not on you. God parents you. God loves you. Open your heart to God's sacrificial love. Be a dearly loved child and let this be the defining aspect of your relationship with Him and you will begin to understand how to dearly love your children. And that will be the family that you would actually like to live in as well. The family that Christ's sacrificial love is being lived out. So, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our families. Thank you that every one of us has a family. We have a mama and a daddy. We are adopted and have an adoptive mother and a father. Uh, We have grandparents. Every one of us has a family. Lord, we pray that uh, we would see how central that is and we would see yet again how important those people that you've given to us are. Lord, would you help us to love our family? Would you help us to have a loyal love and would you help us to have an agape love for our family? And Lord, especially, would you, would you be with sinners who are parents, uh, who are trying so hard to navigate a modern life that is more complex than anything we've seen in human experience thus far? God, would you give a simplicity of receiving your love and what that's like in its sacrificial quality and being able and empowered to want to 
and to love our children with that love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.